0: Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, and today I'm talking to Nicola Wollaston about COVID-19 and children. Nicola is a registered teacher, a certified child life specialist and a registered hospital play specialist. She is the team leader of the hospital play service at Starship Hospital and President of the Hospital Play Specialist Association, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Nicola has four children at home and is very aware of the stresses and challenges of balancing work, children, and living in uncertainty. Kia ora and welcome, Nicola. Thank you. Thank you very much, Louise. So COVID-19 is in our community and our lives have changed. Today we will address how best to discuss this with the smaller members of our family, our younger patients and their parents who may be struggling to come to terms with this new paradigm. So Nicola, let's begin with the infants and toddlers. We may not think to talk to these children necessarily about COVID-19, but they will pick up on the parental anxiety and stress. What suggestions do you have to support this age group and their parents? So
1: I think this is one of the groups, not, not that they got forgotten, but because they're... Often pre verbal and not really able to understand what's happening in the community at large. um, I think we wouldn't often think to stop and explain things to them, but infants and toddlers really do pick up on other people's stress and also, particularly, on the change of routine. So I think one of the biggest things that we can do for infants and toddlers is actually support their caregivers. And a lot of that is somewhat hampered with um, distancing that we're doing, but there's phone calls you can you know do zoom or skype with people and i think a lot of it's often just a listening ear you know having time to acknowledge how they're feeling providing some little activities or distractions can break up their day um, which can be really helpful and i think the um, in terms of looking after small children just remembering that to encourage routines because that normalcy is very
0: comforting for little ones um, and it, it makes them feel quite secure. For many preschoolers, their little lives have changed over recent weeks too. They may have had only one parent at home previously, or they may have been going out to activities each week, which have now stopped, or they may have been in a full-time early childhood education facility. How would you explain to these children what's going on? Firstly, how would you explain COVID-19 to these children? mm mm-hmm.
1: So I think um, one of the things with preschoolers that I think it's really easy to forget is how how much time they actually take, how intensely they require your attention and, um, yeah, the the level, I guess, of consistency, of, you know, keeping an eye, making sure they've got things to do. So I'm really conscious for families with preschoolers at home, particularly those who are trying to balance work and having a preschooler at home is very tricky. And even if you're not trying to work that um, consistency of being on all the time can get um, feel, feel quite overwhelming. Um so with preschoolers, I think when we're talking about um, managing things at home, again, routines really, really important. And the other big thing for this age group is really acknowledging their feelings, helping them to have some words for those feelings and, moving a step past that to, okay, you feel, I can see that you're frustrated or angry. Sometimes when I feel frustrated or angry, I like to scream into a cushion or poke holes in Play-Doh or do things that help get rid of those big feelings. So I think it's that two-sided thing, that acknowledging the feelings that they're having and then giving them some way of managing those, um, which can be really helpful. When it comes to explaining COVID-19 itself, to children, I would really suggest that we use terms and phrases that kids are familiar with. So, if you're at your house, talk about germs for colds or viruses, use those familiar terms, but equate those for them because they'll be hearing virus in the news, they'll be seeing it on TV. And this age group are really good at picking up on little bits of conversations, little snippets that they hear. The difficulty is they don't have the life experience to sort of put those things in context. So just really simple explanations um, and ask them what they know, because often you'd be quite surprised what, A, what they have picked up, but also um, some of the ways that they're interpreting that information may not be accurate. So asking them what they know gives you an opportunity to sort of correct any misconceptions that they may be having. And I think probably the other thing just to highlight with this age group is that simple choices go a really long way to giving back a sense of control. So if your preschooler is anxious or worried, um, we use this in the hospital all of the time, and you just need to be careful how you phrase your questions so that you're providing options that are acceptable. So if you need them to get dressed rather than saying you have to get dressed it might be, do you want to wear your blue trousers or your red trousers? If they have to get in the bath because everything's gone to pot and actually that's where you need them to be. It might be, you know, here's a couple of options for toys we could take in the bath tonight. Do you want to take this one or this one? So that actually those little choices end up giving them back a sense of control. And again, you know, keeping those similar routines, um, which I've mentioned previously is is just so valuable for them.
0: Because it gives that predictability, which feels um, contained and, and gives them a sense of security. So, Nicola, moving on to the younger school aged child, say age six to 12, mm-hmm. what sort of language we use to explain COVID 19 to them?
1: So, this age group gets really interesting because they're often really intrigued about how their body works. They start to gain an understanding of the fact that, you know, they've got blood inside that helps move around their body, that helps keep them going, that helps their muscles move, they start to get really um, sort of more intricate understanding of that. Again, I would really caution, ask them what they know and what they'd like to know, because this age group in particular, whilst they may understand that you have blood that moves around your body, for example... What we do come across in hospital is kids who get very anxious about blood tests because you're taking all of their blood and they know that if you lose a lot of blood, that you will die. So although they understand that you need the blood to have your body working, they don't necessarily understand that we're making blood all the time and that small amounts of blood loss is okay. So it's just, again, an example of how that understanding isn't quite fully developed and you may need to just check in, see what they know and see what else they might like to understand. There's some fantastic resources around um, small videos that are really good for giving a bit more of um, an in-depth explanation, particularly around COVID-19. All I would suggest is that when you um, have a look for these resources, that you do vet them yourself um, first before showing them to your kids so that you know that it has correct information at the right age level for your child and that when they see it and if they
0: have any questions, you've sort
1: of thought through how you might answer those
0: good points. What about techniques for this age group to manage their stress and worries? What things would you suggest are appropriate?
1: Yeah, so at this, um, we didn't really talk about that for preschoolers, but same, um, it sounds really silly, but we use breathing heaps. So one of the things that we know from managing stress is that um, controlled breathing is really effective. And I like doing this in hospital with kids because actually you can do it with children and parents. And often that is actually as helpful for the parent as it is for their child. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots of different breathing techniques you can do and you can Google and there'll be masses. I think the biggest thing is finding something that feels really comfortable for you. But some easy, simple examples would be pop your pointer finger of your right hand on top of your thumb of your left hand, run your finger down your thumb and breathe out, run your finger up your pointer finger of your left hand and breathe in, down to breathe out, run it up your middle finger to breathe in, and you can carry on up and down, breaths in and out in quite a slow and controlled way. And that's really helpful because for kids who are feeling a bit overwhelmed, it gives not only just some direction, um, but the tactile And sort of facilitator of running your finger up and down along and tracing your hand actually gives them another um, stimulus to help give them the concentration because that's one of the things that's pretty tricky when you're already stressed is that concentrating to do some of these exercises is difficult so having something tactile like the pressure on your finger or even if you just squeeze the top of your fingers as you move across your hand often do that as well um, but it's just as a reminder, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. We're breathing in, we're breathing out, are breathing in and breathing out. So really simple. Um, and there's lots and lots of different uh, breathing exercises and apps that are really great for children of this age group. One of the things I do often stress with parents is that this is a skill that kids can carry forward long term. Mm. And that it's really great to practice when you're not feeling stressed because then it's much easier to access it when you are feeling stressed. And I often talk to kids about the fact that this might be if they're worried before they play piano in front of a group or if they're worried about a math test or a driving test or anything like that. You can use those same breathing exercises to help calm yourself down. So it's a really nice thing to do. It's often good for kids to do before bed and allows them just a bit of space to sort of come and have some time with you before they um, head off for the evening?
0: So Nicola, our, in my mind, perhaps our trickiest group are our youth and our young adults. Previously, they've been becoming independent social beings and in my experience, they're a bit gutted to have their lives limited. Their social lives are being narrowed down, all their sporting events are being cancelled and although usually they would whinge and complain about going to school school is often a a time for them to find their independence and social connection, which now they have to all do online. So what suggestions do you have for these guys? Yeah, this is a
1: really interesting group because they do bounce between being really fiercely independent and really capable Mm. to actually needing to touch base. And particularly if they're anxious or worried, having that um, touchstone with parents is really important. What I've been doing at my house is we've got three kids who are in high school. But one of the things that I've found is, again, it comes back to acknowledging feelings, really, really important. Because whilst they are aware that there is sort of a pandemic, and there's enormous Stressors for other people, what they're most gutted about is that they can't go to soccer or that their planned new job didn't start or that they haven't been able to have that connection with their friends. And I think one of the things for that age group is that's really normal. Like it's really, really normal for adolescents to be a little bit inward focused around what's meeting their needs. So having that ability to just say, yep, this is, it sucks and I get it. And it's really frustrating, and um, what might we plan to look forward to, or what could we do today that could be the one small thing that you enjoy so that they've got some ability to allow themselves some space to be sad about that, you know that I think trying to get them to only focus on the positive is uh, just ends up in a bit of a power struggle, and um, so I think acknowledging their feelings, giving them some openings and ideas about what they might like to do that might make them feel better and I think That's a really powerful thing that, again, kids take forward with them through their life, that you create spaces for them to acknowledge the frustrations, have some time in that space, but then also think about, okay, this is what it is. What can I do today? And what can I look forward to down the track? I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. There's lots of uh, different ideas about, you know, do you just let them go wild and just sink themselves into their screens for the next sort of four weeks, or do we sort of manage that? And I think that actually comes down to each child and their family. I think if trying to manage screen time is ending up in a power struggle and causing great angst, that's actually not helpful. I think if you've got a kid who's feeling like they're keeping connections with their friend's in that way, and it's creating some positive space for them. I'm not too worried about how much time they spend on the screen because this is an unusual situation. And when we move back into the real world, um, so to speak, then then we can help reset those boundaries. I think the biggest thing that we can do for that group that's helpful is be really clear about that. We're operating in this way right now because we've got all of these restrictions in place. And when we go back, we'll talk about you know, what's expected and how we rebalance our time and what we're doing so that when you have that conversation in three or four weeks' time, that it isn't all of a sudden a surprise and a
0: shock. Yeah, that's a good point, Nicola. Screen time has been a, a point of discussion, sometimes heated in our family over the last couple of weeks because children or these young people do want to be connected all the time. Mm. And it's very difficult to manage the connection with the schoolwork with time off screen. So I totally agree with you. It is a tricky area to manage.
1: Yeah. We have found that if you, what we've done sort of at various points where we can see it's getting a little bit out of control, what we have done is sit down as a group and brainstormed some ideas of options of things people could do. So I think again, when you're in in a bit of a funk or you're feeling a bit stressed, it's really hard to think creatively. So if you've got this sort of brainstorm of ideas that you can come back to and touch base about then it's not like you're having to try and pull lots of creative you know thoughtful things out when they're not in that space
0: you've already got to go to what about language in the virus in this age group Nicola Mm. I always look at kids at this age and think actually they're well
1: connected they've got easy access to the internet They have lots of developing ideas about both themselves and their sort of wider world. And I think the language that I tend to use is the language I would use with you. And if I sense that I'm pitching too high, then I take it down. But the easiest way, again, to figure out what level to aim at is to ask them what they know and what they, if they have any questions about that and what they might like to know. So I have got some kids who are really super interested in the actual detail. They want to understand about the actual proteins that are on the alveoli. They want to understand the the fine detail of it. And then I have other kids who actually just say, well, it's a virus. And if we get it, you know, it's not great, but it impacts some people differently. So they're really sort of high level, big picture stuff. So I think it depends on the kind of child you have. The one thing I would really stress is to be aware that for some children, more information is not necessarily helpful. And this goes across all age groups, really. That for some children, they gather information as a way of trying to make things feel more contained, but actually it increases their anxiety. So if you know that you've got a child and that's the way that they operate, I would really reiterate that having some clear explanations that are pitched at the right age level that you go back to and say, this is what we know and that actually acknowledge that they're looking for information and that actually find something else to take their focus to. Have the conversation, acknowledge that they're feeling worried about it, say, so, you know, remember, we know that lots of people are likely to get it. Many people won't get very ill at all. Some people will get really, really ill, and very few people are going to die. But actually, in general, we're looking at something that for your age group doesn't have a big impact on you so I think it's keeping that really simple but then saying you know it's in the news managing how much media they're getting so that Mm -hmm. you say you make a plan if they're if they're information gatherers Um, say let's make a plan that we'll check in with the news at nine in the morning and we'll do another check-in at six in the evening on the news but try and keep away from it during the day so that they're not sort of wallowing and
0: circling around in that and that would go with adults, I would think too, the the media and the constantness of the news can be quite overwhelming. And then you can feel that filtering down into your family and into your um, environment. So I think managing the media is... Absolutely.
1: And I mean, the thing is at the moment, because everybody's in the house, it's on the news, it's on the, you know, if you're pulling up the news page or you're watching the news on TV, it's in everybody's conversations. So it is literally at this point Mm-hmm. Everywhere they look, so some of that is really tricky. But I think finding some, creating
0: some space and some time that is protected is um is really helpful. So stress and anxiety in this group seems to present in different ways. So I've seen it um, come out as anger and frustration. I've seen lashing out. I've seen pajamas that won't be uh, being worn from yeah. morning to night. Constant eating, and we've already talked about devices. So. What tips have you got? We've talked about keeping language simple, being a bit more um, lenient with screen time, but are there any other tips that you've got for this age group, Nicola? I
1: really think um the kids in this age group often talk most freely while you're not directly talking to them. So often if you sit down with, you know, an adolescent and say, Look, we really need to talk about this, you're in pajamas all day, you know, you're you're not coming out of your room, that kind of face to face stuff can often feel quite um threatening. So, you know, we, we have game nights, we do lots of, whether it's cooking or, you know, getting my bum handed to me when we're playing Mario Kart. Um, But it is one of those things that those, if you think about when you're driving, it's often time they'll ask questions because they can kind of be alongside you, but not have to like look, look at you. Mm. So if you think about things like that, often creating space to build relationships in those little ways makes it easier sometimes to have some of those conversations. But I would say in this current environment, we know it's a short-lived thing. So I think if they're if you're worried about them or their or their behavior is changing quite significantly, I'd probably be looking at getting in touch with someone. You know, there's lots of there's if you go on the COVID-19 website, there's lots of information for reaching out if you're feeling like people's mental health isn't in a great space. But I would really suggest that keeping in mind this is a short-term thing and being really clear with kids, you know, we're letting you do this, we see you're in your pajamas, I'd quite like if you could get out of them by lunchtime, but I'm not going to worry about it up to that point. If you get past lunch, and you're thinking, okay, well, supper time, I don't know, depends what works in your house. But it is, you know, finding things at the moment that they can contribute to and control is really helpful. And if having a fun day and keeping their pajamas on until three o'clock feels a little bit sort of outside of the norm, and they've put their feet up all day but they're in a good space that's okay so it's about picking I guess and choosing what things you want to draw attention to and focus on as a parent as well
0: absolutely so Nicola in New Zealand at the moment we're in level four and we're going to be transitioning to level three and hopefully we will continue to transition downward Yes, yeah. But I wonder if we could just talk about the importance of transitioning children, because transitioning often becomes an unsettling time for children of all ages.
1: Yeah, I think this is probably one of the most important things to talk about at this point, because what we're seeing with some families is that, and um, you know, particularly with a lot in the news at the moment with the teachers, is that people have felt very safe in their bubble. They've done all the right things. They've limited their contact with people. And Now we're being asked to look at broadening that and moving back into sort of more day-to-day. I mean, obviously, we're still going to try and create spaces around people and do all of those things. But we are looking at widening our bubbles and potentially at some stage, hopefully not very long from now, sort of getting back to work, back to school and all of those things. And I think for a lot of adults, that's going to cause a lot of anxiety, which of course then filters through to kids. So that was probably, that would probably be my first thing is that um, being aware of how that's being spoken about and the impact that that may have on younger children. And with this, it's very like I was talking to um, some teachers the other day and I was saying it's really like when we have particularly our pediatric patients at work who are in oncology and they are in a really safe bubble in the hospital and the first time that they finish induction and go Move out back into their home communities can feel really unnerving. And for children who finish treatment and there's not that sort of protective fallback, it feels out of control and it feels too big. And that's sort of what I can equate it to, having worked in oncology for a long time. One of the things that I think is really important is that people remember that actually, when we went into level four, it wasn't because COVID was everywhere. It was to prevent it from becoming that. So when we're looking at moving down level three, we've got that real sense of, okay, we did all the right things. It means that we've had a really positive result and we've got very little of it in the community. So now we can loosen our restrictions and do this. So it's about framing it in a way that feels safe for, for people themselves and for their kids um, and talking about some of the different ways that we might be working or going to school for the next little while and um, so I think giving some context to it preparing kids for it that you know you don't wake up one day and say everybody's going back to school tomorrow that um, introduction of the idea and um, and giving people time to process and opportunities to ask
0: questions. So Nicola we're talking about transitioning back to level three or even further down the, um, down the alert system Lots of children will be exposed now to people wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if you have any tips about this. Um, They may even be asked to wear a mask themselves. So how can we we educate our children about masks and the fact that they're okay and they're not scary, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, so this is something we've been
1: working a lot on. I think there's a couple of things to be clear about here. So one is... I'll break it into two bits, shall I? So one is about preparing children for the idea of masks for both them or people they're seeing in the community. Um, And the other is about actually developmentally the um, impact of kids trying to process facial expressions and familiar people behind a mask. So if we talk about preparation, um, because there's going to be lots of people wearing masks, you know, whether you decide as a family that you need to or want to, And there will be people in the community wearing them and they will have seen them on the news. I think one of the biggest messages I give to kids is that masks actually have two jobs. Sometimes people choose to wear a mask to keep themselves safe. They're trying to stop themselves from catching different bugs and germs. Sometimes people wear a mask to protect other people. So that that gives that sense of everybody who's got a mask on might actually be trying to be helpful So I could have a mask on and I'm keeping my um, sneezes and coughs, anything I've got or runny nose, I'm keeping my germs or my viruses with me and so that I'm not sharing them with you. So it it puts masks in a different um, light for some children who might see them. And uh, the difficulty with masks, of course, is lots of masks on TV and movies don't always have good associations. So those particular masks at the moment, you know, I talk to the fact with kids that masks are coming both nose and mouth, because when you sneeze, it's really hard to sometimes snot comes out of your nose and sometimes spit comes out of your mouth. And if you have it over your nose and your mouth, then you know you're catching all of those things. Mm. And most kids from sort of three up understand that really easily and quite readily. I think the other big thing to consider with masks, particularly for younger children, so up to sort of six, the way that children process and recognise faces is not in sections. So they actually need to see a whole face and eyes and the way people are moving their mouth or holding their mouth to interpret both emotion and recognise people. So there's um, been tests done where part of a really familiar caregiver's face is covered and children then actually can't recognise that person. Even though it might be someone they saw three, four times a week on a regular basis, a teacher or a grandparent. With eyes, we know as adults, you can read a lot from people's eyes, but when you put a mask on and children can only see your eyes, they really struggle to correctly identify what kind of emotion someone is portraying. So you might look at them with concern and they might think you're angry, or you might look happy and they might think that you're surprised or angry. So those making sense of emotions, which kids need, young kids need to feel sort of secure. It gets very uncomfortable for them very quickly when they can't do that. So some of the things that um, I've been encouraging people to do at hospital is make sure you're talking to kids and being really explicit about what you're doing, knowing that actually they can't see you at all. Um, you have to sort of pretend like they have. they actually can't tell anything about how you're responding. So if you say you know, I'm thinking we should have a look at that cut on your arm, but I'm going to be really careful and I'm going to just look with my eyes first. So that actually you're being super explicit about what you're about to do or how you're feeling or what you're thinking, because they actually will really struggle with that. So in terms of preparing kids for the idea of masks, and we've talked a bit about the fact that they can be helpful for some people and that they're trying to protect everybody else. Um, For young kids, you can easily put masks on and off teddy bears. You could try putting masks or even tie a bit of cloth or a bandana around them. You can talk about the fact that superheroes wear masks. Sometimes cowboys had bandanas and they'd lift them up over their nose to protect them from the dust when they're riding on horses. There's all sorts of ways to get kids familiar with the idea that these bits of material go on and off people's faces and that they're still the same person underneath um you know done star wars masks we've done halloween costume bits that we've had left over and just playing games where you put masks on and off and even for preschoolers and young school age children saying you know can you tell what i'm doing under my mask right now and having a bit of fun with it so that it just takes away some of that anxiety around masks and people wearing masks.
0: And I suppose practising wearing a mask for a child at home is a good idea because actually it's hot Mm. behind the mask and it's hard to hear and so all those good things. um, Yes, yeah,
1: definitely. And I think the other thing too is um, if you are deciding to wear a mask is they can, again, it comes back, we talked at the beginning about Providing simple choices which increase children's sense of control. Mm. So, you could say, We're going to have masks. Do we, if they're the paper ones, you can actually draw on them? So, do you want to, you know, draw a smiley face on your mask? Or if we're making a mask, do you want to make one out of this material with pumpkins on it or this material with cupcakes on it? Like, you can actually really simply involve them in the decision making to help make that mask feel like it's less threatening for them.
0: Absolutely. Nicola, we've talked about the little people in our families, but what about parents and caregivers who are struggling? What advice can you give us for these people?
1: Yeah, I think, um, again, you know, if people are really feeling like they're on the wall, then getting in touch with either their GP or a mental health professional. Um, there's a lot of helplines available if you're really feeling, and often it's just a matter of being able to talk through some of the concerns and get them out there, and it's been really easy to get to a point of thinking past you know, the immediate problems. But I am really conscious that having kids on top of you all day, 24-7, when you're not used to it is a lot, and, I, and particularly for younger kids who do require that constant supervision. So, I think for adults, I would say it's really important to know that um, nobody's expecting you to parent 24 7, that you don't have to be the best parent and teacher and worker during this period, because that's actually an impossible ask, and to know that you are allowed to not be doing all of those things 100%. Um, so, I think sometimes it's about giving ourselves permission for that, that actually, if you know you've got a little bit of work you need to do three or four emails you need to respond to that actually saying to the kids we're going to read a story I'm going to play a game with you and then I'm actually going to let you sit and watch that movie because I've actually got some work I need to do that actually that's a balance and you've still got time in with the kids but it's really conscious time in Um, and I I think that's probably quite a helpful thing is, is knowing that you can do lots of wonderful, good things with kids. You can read to them. You can, you know, lie down and look at the clouds in the sky and in the, in the yard. You can do lots of things that create moments where you're building that relationship and filling up the cup. And, you know, if you decide that at our house, say, for example, when the kids were little, they had half an hour of TV while I made dinner each night. Well, in this situation, I can 100% say they would be having two to three hours a day. And again, that's okay, because it's not forever. And even if it goes against what we would normally have decided was the rule for our house, um, that's something that we can renegotiate down the track. And it's a way of managing the current situation. And I think if you need to do those little things to give yourself a moment to have some time out, then that's all right.
0: Well thank you Nicola it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I wonder if we could just wrap up with a few take home messages for our listeners. Sure, sure. I think um
1: I think the biggest thing of all is just go easy on yourself, easy on the kids because the reality is that actually this is a short period of time in the grand scheme of things and just keep it simple. I think everybody's under a little bit of stress and we can find ways to lower your own anxiety that will help your kids. And I think Probably making sure you ask kids what they know and what they want to know, because that would be a really easy guide for you around um, how to determine how much information to give and allows you the opportunity to correct any misconceptions that kids might have. And probably routines, just keeping as much as you can to some sense of predictability Um that familiarity is really reassuring for children. And I like, breathe, you can breathe,
0: breathe for the kids, breathe for you. It really does help. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Nicola. It's been a pleasure. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim some CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. You'll also find a list of resources that we've used in this podcast and some other access-free webinars, bed cases, and e-learning modules. Thanks for listening.